Welcome to the Human Inclusive Podcast, where we curate stories that amplify diverse populations. We take a peek into the lives of our allies as they share their experiences in an effort to help communities build empathy and compassion for coexistence. I'm Leah. I use she, her. I'm Christopher. He, him. And together, we are Human Inclusive. This podcast is brought to you by Dante32. Last week, we talked about a different type of entrepreneur and the path she took to give back and elevate other people. This week, we want to explore what it actually looks like to prioritize and invest in diversity from a company level. We started this podcast because we were feeling the diversity fatigue. From hearing seemingly the same conversation repeated over and over at conferences and in articles stopping at surface level, we want to dig below the surface to get a better understanding of how we can begin to see a shift in the industry and workforce. DNI now is part of who we are. It's not a thing we're trying to do. It is like part of the DNA of Detroit Labs now. That is Erica Langerand from Detroit Labs, a technology consulting company from, you guessed it, the Motor City. Today, Erica talks with us about how diversity became embedded in the DNA of Detroit Labs, why they start off day one with their diversity policy rather than writing code, and their amazing apprenticeship program that helped them create a more inclusive and diverse team. Through listening to this episode, we hope you learn from some of the examples shared today in order to make a difference in your organization. Let's jump into the interview. I'm Erica. I'm from beautiful Detroit, Michigan. I also use she, her. I have been at Detroit Labs for five years and I've been in the tech industry for six years. So the majority of my career has been with Detroit Labs. My background's in psychology, um, sort of did a a radical career shift when I was in my mid-20s and decided to become a software developer. And then through a long and winding path, uh, eventually landed in my current role. I'm the director of training and development at Detroit Labs. Tell us the story of Detroit Labs. You started in 2011. You're still around today, which is amazing for a lot of tech companies. Where did Detroit Labs start and, and how did it get to the 130 plus employee organization that it is now? Sure. So Detroit Labs started with uh, four co-founders in uh, uh, in downtown Detroit, and they were hoping to build a company uh, that was human-centric. That was one of the initial goals right from the very start. So we started off um, for about five minutes at the beginning, intending to build web applications for startups, uh, pivoted very quickly into mobile applications, and primarily did mobile applications for several years. When I joined in 2013, uh, we were doing strictly native mobile, so iOS and Android and think one Windows phone app and at some point in there. And since then, we've been growing um, and now also do web as well. Clients are primarily Fortune 50, Fortune 500 companies. And that's been the business. So we've grown every year, added more people, uh, added new clients, and, and so far, so good. So you said that your co-founders wanted to build a human-centric company. And you, you all have done a lot to prioritize diversifying your team recently. What is the significance of Detroit Labs right now in that conversation of diversity inclusion? That's a really good question. I think human-centric absolutely ties in, right? Because when you're building products for people, um, you want all kinds of people contributing to that conversation. You also want people contributing to the conversation about what kinds of products we should build in the first place. Not just how are we going to build it, but what are we going to build? And also, who are we going to work with to build applications? So, So that was part of it. I think it's also, you know, we're very conscious of diversity and inclusion because we live in a majority black city. 
with a lot of conversations happening around you know, gentrification in the city and in the downtown area and the revival in downtown versus in the neighborhoods and all those kinds of things. So that's something that's a, you know, a part of the, the ongoing consciousness for all of us. As far as you know, where we fit in the diversity inclusion conversation, I think that a lot of times it's easy to do a couple of good things and say to yourself, man, we're, we're really a leader in this and we're, we're doing some things right. We try really hard not to say that because we've done some things right, but we've done plenty of things wrong as well. And so I think where we are is we're learning. And, and a lot of that is just by listening, um, listening to our team members who come from various underrepresented backgrounds, listening to the broader conversation in the tech industry. We're always learning and we're trying to do a little bit better every day, every week, every year. Human centric. That's not something that's heard in many organizations. The norm is centered around the customer or the bottom line, maybe profitability or making the best product. But at Detroit Labs, their people are the core of their business. That's a company that thinks different. For some startups like Detroit Labs and even larger companies, building internships or apprenticeship programs is a step in the right direction to mold an inclusive organization. In the next part of the interview, we continue to talk about why this was important to Detroit Labs and some of the obstacles they have encountered since. So how did Detroit Labs get to, to where they are now? When you joined in 2013, um, you, you said that there were you know less than 50 people there. Now you have around 30% women. How did they say we are human-centric, so therefore we want to have more people that are underrepresented working for us? One of our co-founders had really put a lot of thought and energy into this and said, you know, it feels very strange to run a majority company, a majority white company in the middle of a majority black city. So that's kind of weird. It feels very strange to look around the office and everyone is a guy except for these two women sitting in the corner writing code together. <laughs> and, and that doesn't feel like the right thing. So I want to be intentional about doing something different. We have never explicitly hired for diversity, but we did sort of stumble across this in 2014 when we created our apprenticeship program. So we designed this program that was intended to help us grow our own talent internally because you can't really hire mobile developers in Detroit because they can get paid lots of money to go on live on either of the coasts. This was especially the case five years ago. You know, nobody wanted to come hang out with us and be in the winter for nine months out of the year. And so we thought, okay, like we'll train our own developers. And so we created this program that is a three-month intensive training and software development in all aspects. So everything from the teamwork to the agile development practices to actually writing code itself, learning the development frameworks, all those things. And we bring in people that have little to no prior experience in software development. And then over the course of three months, they go through that train. Um, and then we hire them at the end. And the program is actually paid. So it's designed to be as accessible as possible. And that first program, we got about 80 applicants for 10 spots and hired 10 people and put them through the program. And it was rough the first time through. But what was really interesting was that we had a fairly diverse pool of applicants even that first time. And it's gotten increasingly diverse every time. Um, and again, in the apprenticeship program, we don't select for diversity of candidates, but we tend to have diverse pools. And so we tend to have diverse classes of apprentices. And so that was what really helped us start to change like the ratio of our numbers. Like after the first program that was already, you know, that was three more women that we had on the team. <laughs> And those numbers just kept going up with these successive programs. So that was what one of the things that really helped us change. And then it kind of had a snowball effect because, you know, women come in and they interview in an office where there's, you know, 10 women that they can see just in line of sight and they go, okay, like I can see myself here. Um, this is not my personal experience, you know, but a friend who is black who works at the company and said, same thing. I walked in and I was like, I'm not the only black person at this tech company. Like I could actually see myself here. So 
Can you tell us a little bit, um, or are you able to tell us a little bit of what the the makeup of your team is right now? You know, what what does it what does that look like? Yeah, so I thought about that as well, um, and realized that I don't have current statistics in terms of how people self-identify. So I am really cautious about you know slapping labels on people. But generally speaking, um, the company is about thirty percent people who identify as women, um, and about between 25 and 30% people who identify as people of color. So non-white um, is how, you know, how we define that typically in our, in our demographics. And those are really the only two metrics that I know because those are the only, you know, the only two that I personally have some data on. We are in the process right now of doing some internal demographic surveys and, you know, saying to people, if you, if you want to contribute this information, we'd love to know these things, but we're still in the data gathering phase for that. So certainly, um, if you look, walked into our office and, and looked around, we look a lot more diverse than we did in 2013 when I joined. I was the second woman engineer um, at the company at that time. So now I can't name all the women and sometimes there's a line for the bathroom, which is great. <laughs> But what's been interesting over time, we've been really open about our efforts. We've made a lot of blog posts about our DNI um, initiatives and all those kinds of things. There's a question right in our um, in our application to join the company saying, like, we value this kind of culture, and these are the things that we do, you know, that we do not accept or or allow in this in this space. And these are the things that we are trying to build. You know, tell us about a time you've been part of building an inclusive culture, or how you would want to do that at Detroit Lab. So it's right there in the the very first you know interaction people have with us before they get hired. And so we we deliberately look to hire people who care about building that kind of environment. And so I think certainly there's been a strong shift over time with that. How many folks are still around from their first apprenticeship stays? I mean, obviously you've been at Detroit Labs for a long time. So it's almost like you're bucking the system of this every, you know, 18 months to 24 months getting a new position. Recruiters love to tell me that I'm stagnating. And I love to tell them that they can find me a job as good as this one. Then I'll talk to them. Uh, <laughs> no, but, but uh, I mean, yeah, that's, that's, that's true. And that's not something that anybody can, nobody can pay you enough to say that. Like, it's not about that. It's just, it, this is stuff that you can't pay for. Um, so of our apprentices, right around 60% are still with us. And then the vast majority who graduate successfully are still in the industry. Like I think like 92 or 3% of the ones who have graduated from the program um, are working as software developers in the industry. And so they come in and they may stay with us and that may be it. And they may be like, I'm going to work here and only here and ever. Or they might say, you know, I want to go explore something else. I want to try a bigger company. I want to try a startup. I want to learn this new skill set and this technology that we don't do. We recently had, uh, we always like to have our former apprentices kind of teach the new apprentices the ropes and come in and share their experiences. And so we had a panel of former apprentices come in and the question came up. Somebody said, you know, I constantly feel like I don't want to raise my hand because I'm the only black woman in the room and I don't want somebody to go, oh man, black women can't write code or like, you know, because I'm, I'm it, you know, I'm the person on representation. Um, and we had a really productive conversation about that because there was someone on the panel who said, yeah, yep, I've had that exact same experience. Let me talk to you about how I work through that in my head and what I do in my day to day. So it, it just for them becomes part of the how they think about Detroit Labs from the very beginning of their experience. And so it's it's really rewarding to be able to help facilitate that. You know, I said to the first class that I taught at our four year celebration, I said to them, like the best thing about my job is that I get to walk through the office and see people that came through this program that would probably never have come through our doors otherwise, like building cool things and leading teams and running really important conversations and growing the organization in all of these cool ways that are unique to who they are. And I get to be like, I was there for like the first three months of that. (laughs) 
<laughs> and, and then I get to step back and just like watch that person's journey. So now there's not a single team at labs that doesn't have, you know, an, an apprentice graduate or several on them. Um, it's the most rewarding thing in the world. This conversation was eye-opening, especially for me. I've worked across several industries and at many different organizations. But these actions, thinking with people first by instituting a whole three months of learning and development, is really an incredible investment that Detroit Labs puts into their people. And it's also a part of the success they see as they grow. As we go into the holidays and the new year, for all of you executives out there, as you're making your plans for 2019, this last section is for you. Whether you're already done with the planning or not, we're here to remind you there's room for DNI. If you don't plan for it, you won't see it come to fruition. It starts with you, executive team. We need you here. Let's listen to Erica's take on the importance of executives leading DNI, being bought in, and how the company handled friction. We experienced less friction than I anticipated, at least openly. But that's not to say that there wasn't any. There certainly was. Um, there was a point where it didn't totally feel safe to like we had a diversity Slack channel in Slack, and which is this is a symbol of our growth. It was just named like diversity like three years ago. Now it's called diversity inclusion, <laughs> and and it felt like not super safe to post things there because you never knew if you were gonna like somebody phrased this to me, they were like, you know, post university is like hitting a pinata and not knowing if candy or wasps are going to come out. Um, <laughs> and so, so, because you just kind of never knew, you know, what, what, how that conversation was going to hit somebody and, and how somebody was going to respond and how somebody else was going to respond to them. Now our diversity inclusion room, I think is, is a really like a really productive place to have hard conversations. That's a skill that we as a company have developed over time and that as people develop it, they're modeling it for each other. And so other people who may not have had these experiences sort of learn, they say, oh, this is how we talk about this stuff. Okay, I, I can do that. Um, but yeah, there was definitely friction. There definitely is still some friction. I think anytime that you ask people to look at really hard things about themselves, like, you know, it's it's not an easy thing to look yourself in the mirror and go, I'm complicit in a racist system. Like that's a that's a journey right there in and of itself. And so it yeah, I think I think most of the challenges that we had came from that kind of thing, from having people just not having had those conversations with themselves and going, Wow, this is hard. This this is hurtful. Having those conversations in person are hard enough. Having them in written form has got to be incredibly challenging. So how did you all really work through making sure that that was a safe space and making sure that people could talk about it a certain way or ask questions, especially as often as you all are bringing in cohorts of new, fresh people into the industry? So I think there's kind of two pieces of that. One is that we were having a lot of the conversations in person in our all company meetings, in our, you know, the diversity and inclusion coach had monthly sessions about whatever the topic was for the month. So we were ha having a lot of in-person conversations. And so that kind of translated naturally to the Slack channel. There were also just a number of people in the organization who really took it on themselves to show leadership, to say, I care about this and I'm going to, you know, make the effort to, when somebody says something problematic in the channel, to take them out for coffee and say, hey, let's talk about this. So I think it was both those things. I think it was, it was having it not just be a Slack conversation, but an extension of an in-person conversation. And then also having people that were willing to really do the hard work of, of helping bring everybody on board. That leadership buy-in really makes a big 
difference? Yeah, this has always come from the top down in the company. You know, the co-founders have been unequivocal in saying this is important to us. This is the, di- the direction the company is going. Um, we're going to put it in the application because we want to hire people that want to help us take the company in this direction and have been really supportive, you know, in, in rare instances where there have been challenges where people have said, I don't know, do we really want to go this way? And they've said, yes, ab- you, there, there's not a, this is not a question or a discussion. This is what's happening. Um, and I think having that level of support from leadership is crucial to to really building an organization that is inclusive from the ground up. What would you say have been some of the biggest learning moments for the leadership team? Oh gosh, I feel like there's one every week. Uh, I think one of the early ones was that the stuff is very hard to talk about. There were a lot of complicated emotions around these conversations and, and it took us some time to, you know, to develop a language and a, a shared vocabulary for talking about some of these things, realizing that some of us have, you know, been in the Twitter sphere for years talking about diversity and inclusion issues. And some people are still learning, like, what is the difference between diversity and inclusion? Realizing that we as a company were kind of all over the map um, and that we needed to sort of provide a framework for people to understand, like, why is this important to us and, and what are we going to do about it? And how do I, you know, how do I start my own journey? Realizing that everybody has their own journey, especially when it comes to doing things like racism and sexism that are so internalized and so much a part of our culture, you know, and, and realizing that we were going to have to each do our own work and, and that everybody's process there is going to look different that we really needed to invest in in becoming a diverse and inclusive organization. And that wasn't just hire more, you know, not white guys. Uh, that was how do we support the people that are here and how do we educate everybody? And so we invested a lot in, um, in initiatives and in in having one of our team members who expressed a lot of interest in this become the organization's DNI coach. And so she put together a lot of programs, you know, over the ensuing, now I think it's been about two years since she's been doing that. And that's been a lot of work. You know, that's been everything from conversations and culture talks from various people and talking about their backgrounds to, you know, a group of us getting together and taking those Harvard implicit bias tests and talking about the results, which make you feel like some kind of way. And so, uh, so it's been all kinds of stuff. And, and every time, you know, we get something right, it sort of opens up a new world to like 10 more things we didn't think about or that we haven't learned yet or experiences that we didn't have. So it's, it's very much an ongoing journey for us. So how can other companies learn from what you've done and maybe start putting in some of those pieces or take and choose some pieces? Well, I think, I think the most important thing is that it has to come from leadership. Um, it, it, you can have a, a group of individuals really try to push DNI in the organization and, and maybe get you know, a certain degree, like get some stuff in place. But I think that there has to be leadership support. So that's really important. Um, it's important for leadership to be vocally supportive, for them to not just kind of sign off and say, yep, we're cool with this, but to like get in front of the company and say, hey, this is a priority for us. This is, it, it makes a big difference. Investing in DNI initiatives, whatever it looks like for your company, it could be, you know, anything from bringing a trainer and putting everybody through some basic, like, let's develop a shared vocabulary to saying, okay, let's, let's do something more significant. Like, let's have a monthly roundtable. Let's have, let's have conversations. I think talking to the team is really important and saying, hey, like, what are people thinking? What do people value? Where are people challenged? Um, How does everybody think that we could grow as an organization in this way? Uh, That was how a lot of our stuff that we do now kind of came into place. And then also just being involved in the community around you. Um, In our case, you know, we are surrounded by diversity uh, on a lot of levels. And so that's, we're, we're lucky in Detroit in a lot of ways for that. But sort of getting out of getting out of your own bubble um, and looking at, at the city around you, the metropolitan area around you, um, even your companies around you and sort of seeing, you know, what, what can we learn from everybody else? 
if there is like one takeaway that you think an employer or an executive or a leader should walk away with, what would you want that to be? Or what do you think it should be based on the things that you've learned from being at Detroit Labs? One of the things I hear a lot in conversations with people when we talk about DNI and they say, oh, you know, I want to do this stuff at my company, but here are all the reasons I see not to. Here are all the challenges I see in front of me. Um, I really try internally with myself to push back on decisions that I think that I'm making out of fear. Um, if I think to myself, oh man, I'm going to make this decision because I don't want this or I want to avoid that. I want to stay away from this. Um, I don't want to have hard conversations. I don't want to look hard at myself. I don't want to you know, create turmoil in the team. I don't want to sow internal conflict. I try to step away from those and make decisions based on what I do want. And what I do want is a company where whoever works here comes through the door and feels like they're at home and they belong and they can be their full selves. And that is not just you know, accepted, but but valued and prized at this company. And so I would encourage people to just think about what it is that you do want, not what it is that you're scared of or trying to avoid, but, but what really is the goal and what really is the hope. Um, and then, you know, make decisions with that in mind. I feel like that in itself is, is a testament to like why to do this stuff. And I think we hear all the time, any, any executive is like, well, that's great, but that's like a nice to have. That's not a must to have. Or we can't invest in that right now. Or we don't have the budget for it right now. But like what you're saying is like that is like that. Like there is no there's no like reason not to do it. That you just need to push through. Yeah. If if somebody says this is a nice to have, they haven't seen what people are capable of when they can be their authentic selves at work. Um, they haven't seen what people are capable of when they come together with someone who's very different from them and something amazing comes out of that. You know, there's just, there's so much, so much value there. And also like, I don't know, this is, this is me. This is maybe my, like, this is a little naive, but to me, it's intrinsic. It's humanity. Like it's, that's it, just, you should do this because it's a, this is the right thing to do. <laughs> <laughs> because know. it's a must-have. It's not a right. Nice have. Like and it's not. It's not optional. <laughs> um, so that's very strongly how I feel. And I have done a lot of presenting the business case for DNI and all that kind of stuff because that's, sometimes it's what you do. But um, for me personally, that's not the reason. The reason is that I know how good it feels for me to walk in and go. I get to be Erica here, and and I never question that. And I want everybody to have that. Full stop. I love what Erica said. You should do this because it's the right thing to do. I completely agree. We could just end the episode right there. But since this wasn't the end of our conversation, we're going to keep the party going for a few more minutes. In tradition with our other shows, we like to talk about the learns we want to take away to empower ourselves and our listeners. The biggest takeaway that I have is that it's it's not a warm and fuzzy choice to make of, of let's let's do diversity inclusion work because it feels good but it's actually it, there is a lot behind it in making sure that your employees are going to feel like they can be there and stay and they want to show up every day and i think you said it sort of in between a lot of things that you said but that's like the biggest takeaway that i have is always pushing back on people that say well it's it's like a great idea, but I can't do it at this current moment. And instead it's like, well, do you want to keep your talent? And do you want to keep the people that you have now for a longer period of time? Then this is something that you need to invest in now. I like it. I think my my biggest takeaway is 
this might be really long or turn into like five takeaways, but I always say that, you know, inclusion, diversity and inclusion starts with the individual. It starts with the person, right? Because before anything, they have to be in a position that's going to allow them to be open and aware and receptive to, to other people and to themselves first, right? But it is true that with inside of an organization, in order to see a paradigm shift, your leaders have to not just say that it's important and not just be on board, but they have to breathe it. Like it has to come from their everyday conversation. You know, when they're in front of other executives or in front of their entire teams, they need to be talking about inclusion and why it's important. And it really needs to have this thread from the very first interaction that you have with the company all the way through the person that's been there for the longest period of time. And it's really only those executives that can really weave that thread from, you know, that first initial point of contact to every single employee because they have the oversight to to see all of it. So as though personally, I do believe that inclusion starts with yourself, you know, in order to, to really have it ring throughout an organization, your, your executives have to be the ones ringing the bell. That's a good one. Is it my turn? Yes. Now, now it is your turn, Erica. All right. I've sort of been, this keeps popping into my brain, like throughout this entire conversation. Three or four years ago, I talked about diversity in tech very differently, uh, and I, I think that I thought that I had to have answers and I talked always in sound bites and I kind of kept saying the same thing over and over again. And they were things that I, you know, summarily believed. I think what I've learned is that so much value in this, in having a beginner's mind in just listening and being open and knowing that no matter how much you know and how much you've learned and how much you've grown personally, you're going to screw things up. You know, I used to say to apprentices, like, if if you say or do something that is like sexist, homophobic, racist, whatever it is, like, we're going to have a conversation. And now I say, if you say something, is we're going to have a conversation. If you hear something or somebody says something to you, like, even if it's me, because it might be me, <laughs> like, you know, all of us say and do things that are problematic. Um, all of us have space for growth. I think that uh, as I'm listening to myself talk, I am a lot more comfortable with that than I was a few years ago. And that makes me pretty happy. We can't just leave you hanging there because there's so much going on at Detroit Labs that we didn't talk about. So here's how to get in touch with Erica and learn more about Detroit Labs and their diversity initiatives. So you can find Detroit Labs uh, at Detroit Labs pretty much all over the internet. Uh, we have a very intrepid and talented marketing, marketing director who has made it very easy to find us. Um, our website is DetroitLabs.com. We are active on Twitter, on Facebook, um, especially on Instagram. On Instagram, you can actually see our apprentice confessionals every week right now. Ooh. That's so cool. We interview the apprentices at the end of each week, talk about what they've learned. That's, that's a really fun thing we've got going on. Um, so you can find us all over the place. And you can find me. Um, you can Google me again. I am the only Erica Langer in the country. <laughs> uh, but I'm also at Erica Langer and on Twitter. Um, and I am Erica at DetroitLabs.com if you want to drop me an email. Awesome. Well, thank you very much, Erica. Uh, thank you, Detroit Labs, for, for having such a great story to tell. And thank you, Erica, for representing De Detroit Labs in this conversation. Um, we look forward to to hearing a lot more about Detroit Labs and how you all are killing, you know, not only the DNI space, but the development space. And, you know, you're killing it for your clients and keep keep up the great work and we'll definitely sign off. But this isn't the end that you've heard from us. <laughs> Thank you so much for having me again. It was great to talk to you both. 
do you work for a company that's walking the walk, not just talking the talk? Have they implemented inclusion programs, strategies, or initiatives that have shifted the culture? Or what have you done to ignite your executive team around diversity and inclusion efforts? We want to hear from you. We would love to feature your company and talk about the ups and downs of creating a sense of belonging. Hit us up at humaninclusive at gmail.com, on our website, humaninclusive.com, or slide into our DMs on the gram at humaninclusive. Let's start that conversation. Thanks for listening to our first few episodes. If you like what you've been hearing, let us know. We would love your feedback. Rate and review us wherever you get your podcasts. We're going to take a short break, but we will return after the new year with some more incredible stories where we'll feature experts who helped us sift through monkey situations and we'll hear from great companies like Detroit Labs. Have a great holiday to everyone. We wouldn't have been able to kick this season off without our committed human inclusive listening circle. You all have provided us with valuable feedback and ideas throughout the development of this podcast. So thank you. Special thanks to our trusted advisor, Mark D. Hans, who helps us think differently, creatively, and brings our ideas to life. Follow him on Instagram at Mark D. Hans, that's spelled M-A-R-C-D-H-A-N-S. Music and sound effects are composed and produced by Justin Plot Ramos. You can find him on Instagram at Plot Ramos, spelled P-L-A-T-R-A-M-O-S. Human Inclusive is produced by Christopher Guest and Leah James. Thanks to Dante32, a production company that assists new podcasters like us to get off the ground with editing and post-production of the episodes in this season. Thank you for listening to Human Inclusive. We'll catch you next time.